I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to turn your Bibles. Mark chapter 10. Verses 32 through 34. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. They were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. See. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. Since the days Jesus began his earthly ministry and called his disciples to follow him, he tried to help them see exactly who he was. They believed that he was a great teacher. They even believed that he was a great prophet. They believed that he was a man of God. They may have even believed on some level that he was the promised Messiah. They believed that their leader, their rabbi, Jesus, was going to deliver their nation from the domination of Rome. And they believed that Jesus was going to restore Israel to its former greatness. They believed that he would be the king of Israel. And they were right. But they were mistaken about the timing. The disciples believed that these things were about to happen in their lifetimes. They believed that Jesus was on the verge of establishing his kingdom in the world. They failed to understand the truth that God was up to something much greater than that. On two previous occasions, Jesus had tried to tell his men that he was sent to the world to die. The first time Jesus told them about his approaching death was in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. On that occasion, Peter rebuked the Lord and could not grasp what Jesus was trying to tell them. On the second occasion, Mark chapter 9, and verse 31, they were all confounded by what Christ had said. Couldn't get their minds wrapped around it. The Jews were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for a military leader, not a man who gets himself executed. They simply could not comprehend the truth that Messiah would have to die 
to accomplish his divine mission on the earth. So once again, Jesus tells his men what is about to take place. He gives them the clearest and most detailed statement about his impending death. This occurred as Jesus and his men were walking up to Jerusalem. Verse 32 says, And Jesus went before them. Now, it was common for the rabbi to walk ahead of his disciples. It was common for the rabbi to walk in front all alone. That's where we find the Lord. And as he leads the way, Jesus gives his followers some very important information. I want to share the contents of his message with you today. In this passage, we see Jesus out in front leading his men. We see Jesus going where no other man could go, about to do what no other man could do. We see Jesus blazing the trail for all who will receive him by faith. I want to point out the divisions of this text. I want you to see Jesus and his focus, Jesus and his followers, and Jesus and his future. All around the theme, if you will, of Jesus went before them. Now in verse 32, we see Jesus and his focus. The phrase, and Jesus went before him, is in the present tense. This phrase has the idea that Jesus kept on going and going. As he led the way for them. It's the picture of a man whose face face is set. It's a picture of a man whose mind is made up. It's a picture of a man who's determined to go somewhere and he refuses to be distracted from his mission. It's a picture of a man who has his mind made up. And that's the Savior in these verses. He has his mind fixed on some things, and he's determined to carry out his mission. What exactly is he focused on? He was focused on a place. The Bible says they were going in the way, going up to Jerusalem. They were headed to the capital, Israel. They were going to the place where the temple resided. They were traveling the same road, walked by pilgrims on their way to sacrifice. They were walking the same path, and millions of others had walked down through the centuries. They were headed to a specific place. We're told that they were going up to Jerusalem. And this was true since Jerusalem is located high in the mountains of Israel. There are places with a higher elevation, but people always spoke of going up to that city, Jerusalem. Now one reason for that way of thinking has to do with its spiritual nature. Jerusalem was the home of the temple of Jehovah. 
It was the place God dwelt. It was here that sacrifices were offered. Atonement was, was made for the people. And to the Jew, Jerusalem was always on the way up. It was a place of higher spiritual elevation in their minds. And that is the city to which they were headed that day. However, I don't think Jesus had the city on his mind. I don't think that he was focused on the temple or the religious rituals that were being carried out at the temple. I don't think that he was contemplating the architecture he would see. I do not think his mind was on the sights and the sounds that would surround him when he arrived in Jerusalem. I'm convinced that Jesus had his mind on a little hill outside the city gates. I'm almost sure that his focus was on a hill called Golgotha, a place we refer to as Calvary. His mind was on the hill where Abraham offered up his son Isaac to the Lord in Genesis 22. His mind was on the place where he would offer himself up as a final, excuse me, as the final, perfect, eternal sacrifice for sin and sinners. Every day of his life, every step in his ministry, every miracle, every sermon, Every thing, single thing Jesus did while he was here on this earth served to bring him to that hill. Calvary was his mission. Calvary was his goal. Calvary was his destiny. And Calvary was the central part of his mind as he walked toward Jerusalem that day. But I consent to you he was focused on a plan. Jesus knew that when he arrived at Calvary, an ages-old plan would be accomplished. Jesus knew that at Calvary, the prophecies of the prophets would be fulfilled. And Jesus knew that at Calvary, the just demands of a holy God would have to be met. Jesus knew that when the events that would take place on Calvary were accomplished, God Almighty would be satisfied and lost sinners could be saved. Lest you misunderstand, the cross and death of Jesus Christ were not something sort of an unfortunate accident. The death of Jesus on the cross was not plan B. The death of Jesus Christ was planned long before the world was ever created. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Revelation 13 and verse 8. His death was promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. His death was pictured in the coats of skin God made to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21.
His death was prefigured in every sacrifice and offering in the tabernacle and the temple. His death is the theme of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus, in his death on the cross, would accomplish what all the millions of gallons of blood that was shed in the Old Testament system had failed to do. His death would accomplish what Adam's fig leaves could never have done. His death on the cross would fully, eternally, and perfectly pay for the sins all those who would place their faith in him. And as Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem, the plan of salvation was on his mind. He was headed there to fully deal with sin, and nothing would stand in his way. Again, I contend that he was focused also on a people. It wasn't just a place and a plan that had the Lord's attention that day. His mind was also focused on a people. Before I was born, the angel told Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus came to this world with some people on his mind. Who? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And all those who would believe on him and be saved can be saved. All those who would be given to him by the Father, John 6 and verse 37. All those chosen in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. He had his mind on all those who bow before the Father and confess Jesus as their Savior. And he died on that cross with the intention of accomplishing our redemption. Now I call your attention to verse 32 because we see Jesus and his followers. These verses do not simply talk about the Savior. They also tell us something of the mindset of his men. We're told that they were amazed. That word means to be astonished or frightened. We're also told that they were afraid. That word is... Phobeo, which is the word we get our word phobia from, means to put to flight, to be seized with alarm. There was something in our Lord's demeanor that caused his men to be filled with fear. There was something about the resolve in the eyes of Christ that filled his men with fear. And we must pause to see the reason for their fears. The disciples are afraid for Jesus and for themselves because they know the Jewish leaders hate Jesus. Jesus has had several bitter encounters with the Jewish religious leaders. 
They're upset by his miracles. They're upset by his claims to be the son of God. They're certainly upset by the claims that he's made to be the Messiah. They're upset so much that they want him out of the way. They want him dead. This event that has them so angry is the miracle involving the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. This miracle, which so clearly identified Jesus as God in the flesh, was the miracle that concreted the Jews in their unbelief. They hate Jesus so much that they're determined to see him dead. John 11, verses 53 through 57. They had already threatened to stone him one time already in John chapter 10 and verse 31. His disciples know this. And they're amazed that Jesus seems determined to march to his death in John 11 and verse 8. Now, I would imagine that they tried to talk him out of going. I'm certain they tried to change his mind, and every attempt failed. And Jesus continued to march toward his date with death. Of course, Isaiah predicted the Messiah would be focused. Isaiah 15, verse 7. The disciples are afraid for Jesus. They're also afraid for themselves. After all, this is not exactly what they signed up for. They followed him because they believed that he was the Messiah. They followed him because they believed that he was about to establish his kingdom. They followed him because they thought they would reign with him. Now, it appears as though they would die with him, and they're afraid. And even though they're afraid, and even though they can't talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem, and even though they want to run away, they continue to follow him. What a testimony that is. They were resolved to follow Jesus even if it meant that they would die with him. Their feelings are summed up by Thomas in John 11 and verse 16. Let us also go that we may die with him. Now friends, it's very difficult to find that kind of resolve today. It seems the least little thing is enough to knock people off course in their following of Christ. A word spoken out of turn, a little pleasure, a little inconvenience, a little trouble, and the average church member is done with following Christ. I didn't know it was going to be like this. It's probably what some have thought. I thought following Jesus would pay off big for me. I have to give up too much. I've heard that. It just costs too much. Those are some of the things that people say today. Where are the people who will follow Jesus even if his path leads you to your death? 
Where are the people who are determined to follow him regardless of the cost? Jesus, being God, not only sensed the fear in his being, he felt it, he knew it. And he takes the time to comfort them. And that lets us know that his people are important to him. We all deal with fear from time to time. There isn't a person in the world that doesn't have questions, doubts, fears in various areas of your life. There are very few true followers of the Lord Jesus who don't have some fears about where the path of God is taking them. We all have doubts. We all have fears. But we also have a Lord who cares about what disturbs us. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, Casting all of your care upon me, him, because he cares for us. In fact, we're told in the word that what touches us touches him. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He cares. He's concerned. And he invites us to bring our fears to him. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Hebrews 11. Or excuse me, Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. So don't allow your fears, your doubts, and your concerns to derail you. Bring them to Christ. And you will find a friend who's able to help you deal with every one of them. Now I want to close with our third and final point. Verses 33 and 34. Because in these two verses we see Jesus and his future. As Jesus spoke to his men, they're on the road to Jerusalem. His words were not what they wanted to hear. Jesus tells them in very clear terms what is about to happen to him at Jerusalem. How did Jesus know these things? Well, there's two answers. First, Jesus is God. He knows these things are about to take place because they are part of the plan he developed. Secondly, he knows these things because he had not only read the Old Testament, he penned, wrote the Old Testament through inspiration of his men and prophets. Everything Jesus tells his men in these verses were prophesied of the Savior before he ever came into the world. And I said that to say this. If you want to know the mind of God, you have to read the Word of God. He has all the information you need to know both of both life and death in the pages of his Word, the Bible. And that is why there are people with extensive and expensive educations that are as dumb as a rock in spiritual matters. While there are people who can barely read that are wise in the things of God. What makes the difference? The Word of God. Read the book and you grow in wisdom. Now in these verses, Jesus tells his men what he is about to suffer. 
And I want to remind you again that the Lord did what the Lord did for us when he went up to Jerusalem. We know that his future involved rejection. The leaders of the Jews would make a final rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, John chapter 1 and verse 11. Their Supreme Court, that is the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, would condemn him as a common criminal and sentence him to die, Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 through 66. The Jews, the very people he came to save, would turn him over to the Gentiles so they could put him to death. His future also involved ridicule. Even as he died, the crowds around the cross would mock the Son of God, ridicule him as he died. The guards of the high priest mocked him, Matthew 26, verse 67 and 68. The soldiers of Pilate mocked him, John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. The crowds mocked him, Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. But his future also involved regicide. Because that word refers to the killing of a king. They took the Son of God and they scourged him. They bid him over a low pole and they beat his back with a Roman flagellum. John chapter 19 verse 1. Many people died from this act alone. Then they spit in the face of Jesus and ripped the beard from his face, Isaiah 15, verse 6. Then they nailed the king of glory on a Roman cross where he hung for six agonizing hours before he died. They removed the dead body of the Lord Jesus from that cross and buried him in a barred tomb, John chapter 19, verses 31 through 42. But his future also involved something else, the resurrection. Three days after the king died on the cross, he got up from the dead. Jesus freely laid his life down, and he had the power to take it up again, John chapter 10 and verse 18. He got up on the third day, never to die again, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. What does that mean for us? Simply this. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you never fear death, hell, the grave, or the judgment of God. Why? When Jesus died, he was not dying for himself. He was dying for all those who would place their faith in him for salvation. When Jesus died, he was paying for sin and satisfying a holy God. First John chapter 2 and verse 2. When Jesus died, he was opening a way of salvation for every person who would receive him as their Savior. When Jesus died, he was dying for sin and for sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. When Jesus died, all those who believe in him died with him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. When Jesus died, he was judged in the place of the sinner. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And when Jesus rose again, he rose with everlasting life for all of those who have their faith in him. John chapter 11 verses 25 and 26. When Jesus rose again, he stripped the power of the grave away forever and gave his followers victory over death, hell, and the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 53 through 57. You see, my friend, Jesus Christ went before us and he endured the wrath of God on the cross before us. He rose from the dead before us and he has paved the way for us. 
And if we'll simply follow him by faith, we will enjoy his perfect, eternal salvation, and we will experience peace with God. Jesus led the way like a good shepherd. He walked before his flock, taking care of every need in advance, and he's cleared the way for his people. Do you, my friend, do you? Here's a question only you can answer. Do you belong to him? If you do not, you can. You can today come to Christ.